Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 11 reads this way. Therefore, let us, let us fear if while the promise remains of entering his rest, if any one of you may seem to have come up short. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter it because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, say, saying through David, after such a long time as has been said before, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, they would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for times of refreshment, Lord, and we pray for uh, Ron and Karen, their family. They still have young children in the home and older children, and they are busy, Lord. But Father, we know that we can pull off the ministry responsibilities for them for a while, Lord. So we pray that you would help them use their time wisely and they would enjoy this rest. But Father, we want to speak of rest this morning from your word. We want to speak of resting in your son, in your finished work that you confirmed before the foundations of the world. And Father, there's always a danger that we discover that we have not entered that rest. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come and get us today in a way, Lord. If we don't know you, if we've never entered that rest, today would be the day. Today would be a new day for, for someone to become that new dad, that new mom, that new child. And Lord, for those who have entered that rest, Lord, will we be reminded of the perfect finished work that we stand in. And we would rest in our Savior day in and day out and find joy and comfort and diligence in serving him in that rest. So Lord, we pray you would meet us here today through the preaching of your word by carried by your spirit, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Labor Day is an interesting day. I love um, the, the fact that Darren uh, loves Labor Day too. It's, it's an interesting day, and it's always fun to preach behind Darren when he's all fired up like that. So um, I appreciate that, Darren, and you set a good table for me. Labor Day is an interesting day. I don't know if you've read on it at all. It, it started way back in the 1800s, and, and it is officially called this. Labor Day in the United States is a holiday to se celebrate it on the first Monday in September, which happens to be the first this year. It is a celebration of American labor movement, and it's dedicated to social and economic achievements of workers. 
It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions of workers have made to strengthen, bring prosperity, and the well-being of this great country. That's how they label Labor Day. I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, Labor Day um, was commenced in the late 1800s, particularly about 1887. It came off of a riot. I don't know if you remember the, the Haymarket riots that took place in New York, and um, there, there was great tension between labor and management and all that was going on, and one of the rallies, a bomb went off and killed seven policemen. They retaliated and killed a bunch of other people, and it became called the Hay Market Massacre. A little while after that, President Glover, uh, Grover Cleveland came along, and he wanted to honor the labor force. Uh, and they originally set a parade right around the time where this massacre had taken place to honor it. But Cleveland had enough wisdom and discernment to not honor that day. It wasn't a very good day in American history. And he moved it to September 1st. And since then, it's always been a day that we recognize that God has allowed this nation to work and build up the nation that I hope it remains. Most of us look at Labor Day as a, a day off. Uh, barbecue, hanging with family, right? And I, I see some smiles out there. Um, we enjoy this day. You don't have to go to work, many of you, unless you're in retail. <laughs> you, you get to stay home and, and enjoy your family and friends. And I don't think many of us sit back and say, boy, that were some really battles on that in the 1800s. Let's stop and read some history about it. Most of us are just grateful for a day off and a time to be with family. But I wanna just push you a little bit today in your thinking. Have you been laboring towards salvation? Or do you rest in Jesus? And for many of us say, well, you know, come on Scott, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this necessary? Well, I think it's necessary because it was written in the scriptures for us here to Strive to be diligent, verse 11, to enter this rest. And yet, it's something that we do not bring on ourselves. We do not labor intensively to get ourselves saved. And this was an issue. Hebrews is a great book. We don't know who wrote it. I have my thoughts on who wrote Hebrews. Um, I don't think it was Apostle Paul. I think it was written after his death. That's my personal thought on it. But these were intensely religious people that are getting a letter written to them with a strong Jewish background to them. They knew God and they knew religion. And the writer here is pushing them to think about do they rest in God's finished work or do they rest in their own works? And there's a great division there, a great difference. One will lead you to hell and one will lead you to heaven. That's how serious this is. And so on this Labor Day, we want to look at the labor of rest and think about these two groups and where we fall in this text. First, right off the bat, the writer gives us a warning shot. Notice our first point, the warning of missing the believer's rest. Look at verses one and two. Just look with me here. Therefore, let us fear if, while the promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come up short. It's an interesting term there used. It means you've fallen off the back of the brigade. It's a military term. Marching along, but... People that are in the rest keep marching, but you don't. You fall off. 
You don't make it. Notice he goes farther in verse 2. For indeed we have had the good news. Ulangelion is the word. The gospel. The good news preached to us. Just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. They heard the gospel. But the writer here says it had no profit to them. Now notice the why here, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. We go, well, who are they here? Who is the people that he's talking with? Just turn back to chapter 13, um, start here in verse 12, and we'll kind of find out who these people are and really what the problem is here. Verse 12 says, take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. He's really pushing here, isn't he? There, there's people within the people of God that the writer is very concerned about that they may be just people that go along with the tide. They have unbelieving hearts. In fact, they're called evil unbelieving hearts. And in the end, they fall away from the living God. They do not follow him. Verse 13, but encourage one another day after day. This is why we keep preaching the gospel over and over. It's good for the saved. It's great for the lost. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. That means till the Lord comes, till he shows up and takes us home, we are to keep encouraging one another with the gospel. This is how God saves people. He saves people through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he encourages the saved. So do, keep doing this day after day as long as it's still today. Because there's going to be a tomorrow. There was a tomorrow for Ed this week. Day was done. Come home. There's a tomorrow. The Lord will return someday. And then look what he says in the middle of 13, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You go, well, why does he bring in sin if we're talking about the end of the day here? Because sin is what hardens your heart against God. And even for those who are of the day, who are of the brethren, who are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's warning us that the deceitfulness of sin hardens your heart. You want a hard heart as a Christian? Don't confess sin. Blame it on your wife or your children or your job or whatever else. Hard hearts come. And then, and here's the issue, when you, when you play with sin and it hardens your heart, now you go, wow, am I saved? Do I, did I really believe that Jesus forgave me? So now people wrestle with doubt. There's two things that bring doubt into a believer's life. When they try to add works to Jesus, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm, I believe in Jesus and I go to church and I give money and I do this. Oh, you'll have all kinds of doubt. You want to be legalistic and law and all that. The other thing, and this is the main issue that hits us as believers, is we play too much with sin. And it puts a callousness on your heart. And it causes doubt sometimes, causes doubt of the Bible, doubt of the church, doubt of all kinds of things come from all different directions. Don't let your heart sudden. So he's talking to a group of people. You can kind of see who this is. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. We've become partakers of Christ. His work, we partake in this. Now notice this, if we hold fast the beginning 
of our insurance and firm to the end, there is a result of believers. Believers persevere. People ask me all the time, what do you believe in the doctrine of perseverance? Because they think that we believe that the ones who just keep doing good things get to heaven. That's not the doctrine of perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance is the saved to persevere. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they don't have struggles, but they keep pressing on following Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. See, he's trying to divide. He's trying to show, look, there's a lot of people hanging around the church. There's a lot of people that, that believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people that have some good works. But he's trying to help people understand that if you haven't put your soul, faith, and a rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you may not be part of the group. Verse 15, while, while he said this today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. There they are again, as when they protect, provoked me. For verse 16, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now we're getting to who this is. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. He's speaking of the Hebrews. He's speaking of what happened to a nation that absolutely, completely believed in God. You could not find an atheist in the nation of Israel. Why? Because he manifested himself in front of them. Anybody remember 10 plagues? That was their God that did all that. Frogs, flies, blood in the water, death of the firstborn. That was their God that did all that. It was their God that stripped that nation of their wealth and released them out. That was their God that held off the armies with a pillar of fire. It was their God that led them by clouds who dwelt among them and dwelt on the mountain. They knew there was a God. There was no issue religiously here whether there was a God. Problem was, was it with faith? Was there saving faith? Look at this, verse 17, with whom was he angry for 40 years? There's a point to this. There's somewhere along the way, these people reject. They don't believe the God who brought them and showed them all these miracles. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So these first couple of verses here are coming off that passage. There is a warning here. There is a rest for those who have faith in Christ alone, the finished work of God before the foundations of the world. But there is also a warning, don't come up short. Now let's look at what they were talking about. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Let's go back to the Old Testament. There's probably several instances in the writer's mind, but this is certainly one of those instances that he is thinking of. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Chapter 13, the 10 spies have returned. They've gone out and spied the land out. They come back and say, you cannot believe this promised land that God has given us. It's got grapes that we had to put on a board and carry back. It's flowing with milk and honey. I remember as a kid thinking, trying to figure out what that looked like. Did I really want to go there? It was awful sticky sounding. <laughs> but what it simply means is it's very prosperous. Cows milk well. Things grow great. It's fertile. That's what it means. 
They, they acknowledged that God had marked out a land that was incredible. But you remember what happened. Ten out of the twelve spies said, we cannot take this land. We are like grasshoppers in the sight of these people. Lack of faith in God. God did not take kindly to this. He did not take kindly to all, at all. Verse 30, look farther down in chapter 13. There were some that were not that way. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we, were surely, we will surely overcome it. Faith. Other places, as you follow this story along, Caleb and Joshua stand up and they say, look, God said he would give this to us. Faith. It was insurmountable. You got a bunch of people that have come out of Egypt. They've wandered around for a few months, been very hungry and thirsty at times. God's met their needs. They're not an army. They're slaves that just got freed. God was bringing them up against the question, do you believe in me enough to say, I will walk into that land that you have for me? And so what the writer is doing here, he's helping us show the difference of faith. You know the story, they reject them. In fact, they call for the stoning of Caleb and Joshua. They're so adamant against Caleb and Joshua who stand and said, we must believe our God has said this. We have faith in him. God gets very angry with them. You know the story. He says, I'm done. You're heading 40 years into the wilderness. And you will march around that wilderness till those who do not have faith in me die. Do you think God is serious about faith? Do you think he's serious about those who say they're people of God but lack faith to put their rest in him? He's very serious in so much that it comes all the way, as you go back to our Hebrews text, it comes all the way into our New Testament text and we are taught that salvation comes by faith alone through Christ alone for salvation alone. That's how serious he is. And he uses this reference. See, look in verse two. He says, look, there's some who heard all this they heard the gospel. The gospel is put your faith in a God in the Old Testament who can rescue you, who can save you. That faith has not changed in the New Testament. We just have a name to it now. We know God was gonna rescue through Jesus, so the message is the same. The gospel has not changed. Put your faith in Jesus who can rescue you and save you and keep you eternally. But notice in the end of verse two, it was not united with faith. These are extremely religious people. They are not irreligious. They are not haters of God or doubters of God or atheists in any way. They believe in God. They, they go to temple. They do the sacrifices. They do all that stuff that is being now displayed in front of them and given to them. And yet, their hearts are hard. And they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
See, that's how you enter into rest. There's, there's still lots of people out there trying to gain God's approval. One of the questions we'll ask a lot of people a lot of times and say, if you died and you stand up in the door of heaven, hypothetically, and God says, why do I have to let you in? The answer often is, look what I have done. I'm a good person. I went to church. Hey, hey, I went to church. I made it a month in a row. I gave something that little blue bag that went by. I'm a good person. My parents were Christians. See, it's not mixed with faith. The correct answer is, oh, Father, undeserving as I am, your son died in my place. He took all my sin, all the wrath that was due me. He took that, cleansed me, and dressed me in his own righteousness. And Father, I stand before you, cleansed by your son. And he says, welcome in my good and faithful servant. Enter my rest. There's only one door. There's only one way. A narrow path of faith. And that's what he's doing here. Fascinating the arguments that he uses here for faith. Look at chapter 11. These are, uh, Hebrews is such a, a commentary to the Old Testament. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Those 10 spies could not see what was going on, what God was going to do. God was asking them to have faith, but because they couldn't see it, they didn't believe it. And they walked off into the wilderness and their children had to watch them die. That's what happens. That still happens today. People reject Jesus, do not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone, and you watch them die. It's disheartening. And you go, just believe. Put your faith in Jesus. He did it all. Just surrender, bow the knee, put, it, put your faith in him, and you're free from this. But man can't. Because I can't see it. I don't have a hope in something I can't see. Look at verse two. For by it, men of old gained approval. Caleb did. Joshua did. I love the story of Caleb. We named our thirdborn after this guy in the Old Testament. They finally get settled. Caleb comes back to Joshua and says, Hey, Joshua, remember when we stood when no one else would? And God said he would give us an inheritance? He said, Yeah, I remember that. He goes, Where's mine? And God gave him a sweet piece of land. It was full of all those people that were tall, like they made you feel like a grasshopper. And Caleb still had faith and he went in there, took some of his guys and they went and kicked their rears and took that land. Because he had faith. Even in the end, God said, I'm gonna give you this. He still had to go in. He still had to participate in it. But he had faith in God. He went in there and he got a great land. And he died, a very happy man with his family around him. Because he believed he had faith. The men of old gained approval by God because their faith wasn't in their strength and their power and what they could see, but it was in God and hope for things that they could not see. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God 
so that what is seen was not made out of things which are invisible. Ex nihilo. God made them out of nothing. But too many Christians are stepping back into the world and going, well, see, this evolution thing, you know, it's hard to beat the Discovery Channel. You know, they found some egg. I was watching yesterday or this week, and it's, they've labeled it 70 million years, and they're convinced of this time frame because they, they, they date it from the earth that it was found in, and then the fossil record that, that it was found in, and then the earth, and then the fossil record. It's just circular reason. It just goes round and round, and they just pick a date. Hey, by faith, we believe God said in the beginning, I, Yahweh, created the heavens and the earth out of excellent I didn't have any matter. I didn't start with anything. I spoke them into existence. See, everything we believe about God is based on faith. And sure, there's plenty of evidence. The Bible even says that at the end of the day, the creation speaks forth the evidence of God. You can see it from time to time. You go out and do a little camping and enjoy the wilderness and you go, wow, is he gorgeous. I believe. And then he starts listing men, but look down to verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must, look at this word, it's very important that that's in your English Bible, must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. Faith. It is the one missing ingredient that billions of people will stand before the creator, savior, God as he separates the sheep, the sheep from the goats and he will say, you had no faith in me, depart from me. You must have faith. Now, God will give you this faith. It's not something he will hide from you. He will give it to you. Look back at chapter four again and look at verses three through five. We've got to hurry up here. For we who have believed entered that rest. I like that little phrase. You've already entered. It's all past tense. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in that rest Our dear brother Ed did not have to go to some place and get something burned out of him so he could finally get to the rest. It's a lie. God has created this rest in his son for us. And if you believe, you've entered that. But there was those who didn't. And he goes on to say, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. God rested, verse four. Look, this passage comes out of Psalms 95. You gotta look at this psalm real quick. It's a phenomenal psalm. Psalms 95. He's preaching out of Psalms 95, I think, is his text that he's writing out of this um, inspired book of Hebrews out of it. And there's two different groups of people in this text as well. Look at the very beginning. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Check that verse off. We have done that this morning. Praise the Lord. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Remember, they lived in a very pantheistic world. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites. I mean, there's paganistic 
multitudes of gods. They said, we have one God, and he's a great king. And look at this, in whom, whose hands are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountain are also his. The sea is his, for, he, for it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. You probably know that as a song, but more importantly, it's scripture. Verse seven, for he is our God. And here's the people of faith. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did at Marable. So here the first section is built around those who are the people of God, their faith. But now there's a hardening of a heart there. Marable, they begin to cry out and, and mock Moses and thus mock God because aren't the graves good enough in Egypt? Brought us out here to let us die. And yet God had done so much. See, faith will make you do the, uh, the excuse me, the lack of faith will make you do the most stupidest things. Can you imagine you walk out here and God splits Monterey Bay and you walk over from the point of Lover's Point to Santa Cruz on dry land. And then you get on the other side and three days later you're cursing God. See, that's what lack of faith will do. Lack of faith will do people, it never surprised me. People come in, oh, you wouldn't believe what my husband did. You wouldn't believe what my, my neighbor did who calls himself a Christian. Ah, I believe it. God separates water and walks his people through and then drowns their enemies in front of them. I want a drink of water. It's foolish, isn't it? Verse nine, when, when your father tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. You want to see God angry? Reject him. Don't put your faith in him. I'm telling you, you do not want to stand before an angry God at the end of time. You never want to see his wrath. His son saw it for you if your faith is in Jesus. But he says, I loathe that generation. Why? They didn't believe. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. You will not go to heaven if you do not put your faith in God alone through Jesus Christ's finished work. That's what he's trying to teach us. And he's using creation to do that. If you go back to our text, he's quoting creation passages. He's particularly quoting Genesis 1, 31 through chapter 2, verse 3. He's telling us that just as God said it is finished at, cre at creation, so his finished work on the, from the foundations of the world will be the result of his work. Simply this, and I want to take you two passages and then I'll try to tie this up. The mark of the non-elect is no faith. That's the mark of the non-elect. If you want to be, believe, if some, you want to see who the elect are, everybody goes, well, Scott, if we could just see the elect, we could go witness to them. Well, we wouldn't trust the Lord. But the mark of the non-elect is they don't have faith. That's what marks them. They're marked with it. They don't have faith. They don't believe. 
the mark of the elect is you put your faith in Jesus alone. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's the mark of the elect. They have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is it our job to solve all that sovereign aspect? Absolutely not. But it is our job to preach a truth that the elect believe. That's the way you know they're the elect. You go, well, how do I know I'm elect? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Then you're elect. Go find the next one. That's, that's it. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he saved you. Look, he's talking about this finished work. Look at verse, verse three. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. You know this text, Hebrews chapter, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians chapter one. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. See, he's not only talking about creation in this, he's talking about all of his finished work. Before the foundations of the world, that he would choose us in his son, Jesus Christ. We would be holy and blameless. He would predestine us as adopted sons through Jesus Christ. All done by the kind intention of his will, verse five, resulting in the praise of his glory. I think that's why we sing so well here. As we, we've finally come to the point where we go, look, Lord, you did everything. We're just receiving it all. We just believe in you. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13 says this, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. The elect believe. That's why we're, we're called the elect. You believe. You believe that Jesus did what he said he did. So are you resting in the finished work of Jesus or are you still trying to bring something to the table? See, it's not faith in Christ plus my heritage. Darren got a new dad that day. But there was a day, and Darren will tell you this if you ask him, that he had to bow his knee to his Savior. his faith in Jesus. What was that day? Jeff already challenged us to ask your parents. I'm asking you, when was that day that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm out of time, but look at the last thought here. Let us be diligent to enter the believer's final rest. Verse six is a amazing verse. There's more here than I have time for, but he says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Verse six tells us that disobedience is the result of lack of faith. They stood there at the promised land. The spies came back and said, you know what? It's just like God told us it was, but we can't do it. I don't know how many people have sat in my office through the years and shared the good news of Jesus Christ to them and one, I, I had a couple one time sit, years ago, sit on my desk, preached this message of gospel to them, shared this with them. One fell on his face and accepted Jesus and the other one walked out and said, bah. I, I was a young preacher back then. I said, oh Lord, we can only get to you through faith. One hardened their heart, one surrendered and what, happened, and, I'll, and, and, and what happened was direct result of disobedience. The man surrendered and said, I've not been the husband. He wanted to now be the husband. She says, I don't want anything to do with you now. Result is disobedience. 
See, faith, our faith that God gives us helps us walk with him. Look at verse seven and eight. He, he again fixes a day to, uh, a certain day today saying through David after such a long time as has been said before, today if you hear my voice, do not harden my heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have smoke, spoken of another day. And that's what Hebrews 11, look at this really quick. Hebrews 11 speaks of verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That's with God, that's with heaven, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God for he has prepared a city for them. And so the real men and women of faith in numbers were the people who said, oh, this is just a land. God, this is the land that God is gonna give us an example of where we're gonna be with him. And we put our faith in him. And that's, that's what salvation comes from. Closing, let's look at one text and I promise we'll go to communion. Matthew chapter 11. There's a lot of sermons preached today, so I'm just one of them. Trying to squeeze one in here. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 25. And at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. See, there's a problem with the wise and the intelligent. They don't, they don't need your faith. See, we figured it out. Your God is just a crutch. We're the wise ones. We're the intelligent ones. We are the ones who know how to get ourselves to God, who know how to get in, in worldly case, this case, we know how to reach everything that we desire. In this day, and Jesus spoke, he was speaking of the religious wise and intellect. See, once you think you have figured out religion and works and how to make yourself uh, appealing to God in some way, you are no longer a man or a woman of faith. But he turns to the infants because he repeatedly sat an infant on his lap and said, if you don't come to me this way, you won't come. Simple faith. Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are and you did what you said you did. Verse 26, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing to you Jesus says, it is pleasing to you, Father, to hide your way from those who don't need faith. You can wrestle with that all you want, but that's Jesus speaking there. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's in red. Verse 27, all these things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. He reveals by faith. 
Now finally, look at this. Come to me. Come to me who are all, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Rest for your weary souls. This isn't just a rest because you're tired tomorrow. You will rest in his sweet love for eternity. I will give you that. Come to me. Don't come around me. Don't come through someone else, your good works. Come to me. I will give you eternal rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, Jesus said. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So it's Labor Day tomorrow. And you get to rest, many of you, from going to work and getting in that commute. You get to rest from the daily grind. You, some of you may get to sleep in unless you have little children. But I want you to think about it tomorrow when you wake up. Lord, my faith is in you. And I am resting from any spiritual works that I think I can gain salvation from. I am completely satisfied in what you did, Jesus. Can you say that this morning? See, this is the difference between heaven and hell right now. If you can say, Jesus, I rest completely in you. I am completely satisfied with what you did for me on the cross. You can rest eternally. But if you can't say that, if, if, you, if that's hard for you to say, if you're struggling right now and you're going, I don't want to admit I'm a sinner and I need to rest in Jesus. I don't, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to bend the knee. There's a different eternity for you. And that wrathful God that we lucked at in Psalms 95, he's waiting for you. You don't want to meet him that way. You want to meet him this way. Enter in to my rest. Father, we can really screw things up down here. We can, we can take this perfectly planned work that you laid down from the foundations of the world to rescue sinful men and we can muck it up really good. We can bring in our genealogy, our family heritage, we can bring in our, our, our good works and our money and our buildings and we can bring in all kinds of stuff and mar it. And Lord, it is an atrocity when we do that. Or, Lord, we can come to you and we can just say, I got nothing, Lord. All I have is faith in your son. I believe he died for me. I believe I was a wretched sinner and I had no hope. And Jesus died for me. And we can rest for eternity, Lord. We can rest we can rest in the fact that we don't have to add anything to that finished work. 
of Jesus. So Lord, I pray this morning as we take communion here now and we remember this, Lord, that there'll be lots of people in here laying back, resting in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.